It's go time. You are listening live to Quick Kicks, a presentation of Third Down Gamble. Welcome to 2022 and the third season of Third Down Gamble. Don Charbon along with Heath Graham. Pat is away with family. Heath, we've had a lot of activity, aside from the fact that Santa made his rounds and we've clocked over a new calendar year. A lot of desks have been shuffled in the uh, CFL. There have certainly been some changes both for on-field and off-field personnel. So one of the big pieces of off-field news was Jeff Reinbold has resigned as special teams coach for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. That came as a bit of a stunner to me. I thought he was pretty content there, but the rumor mill as it is, is churning out that perhaps he may be going to the land of the fleur-de-lis and coaching with the Alouettes. We'll see if that plays out. Now, I'm trying to remember if he and Kahari Jones had a little bit of crossover at their time in Winnipeg, or was Reinbold done as coach before Kahari came on board? That is a great question, because if you're talking about the turn of the century, and Reinbold, I think, was gone after, what, two seasons in Winnipeg, and Kahari came in right at the tail end of that, so did uh, Milt Stiegel. How many paths crossed? Boy, you got me on that one. We'll have to do some research and get back to you and find out if they had a crossover relationship or not. For next episode, let's do that. Let's have that as something that we can look forward to for sure. But yeah, the uh, Ottawa Red Blacks have uh, really uh, done a good job of getting uh, their um, personnel together. Uh, they've got Sean Burke, of course, who we mentioned has already taken over as the GM, but uh, a name familiar to Winnipeg and Saskatchewan, Brendan Tamman, is now director of professional development with the players. And basically that would be, I would think, a lot of scouting. He does no talent. That's one thing that he's really good at. He certainly does. I'm happy to see him back in the league. He's been pretty quiet over the last couple of seasons. So uh, a familiar name with lots of experience in the CFL and lots of experience dealing with Canadians' CFL talent in general. So Ottawa needs to turn things around. They've had a couple of off years and bringing Brendan Tamman on board with their new GM might be a good fit, and we'll see what kind of product they can get on the field next season. The interesting person beyond Tamman that I thought was really eye-catching was Jeremy Snyder retains his job as assistant general manager. That I didn't necessarily expect, but it shows that perhaps Burke was feeling that he wanted a little bit of continuity in terms of what was going on with the scouting bureau and in terms of what type of personnel are already on the roster. It's always interesting when you dig into some of these past relationships and crossovers in the CFL. And another one that I'm not 100% sure of, but I do believe that Brandon Tamman and Paul Lapolis maybe crossed paths with Lapo's first stint in Winnipeg as well. So there's a little bit of familiarity with those two. It, it is a nine-team league. And if you do move around a little bit, you're going to bump into people time and again in different circumstances. Chad Hudson, uh, Philip Moreau are the other two that the uh, Red Blacks, there, there is certainly a feeling, I think, with Ottawa that they are trying to turn a page here. Nothing against what went on previously, because they certainly had a Grey Cup champion and two other trips to the Grey Cup final. You can't really dismiss that uh, when you look at what went on from their inception until now. But there is sort of this sense that I gather from looking now to 
chart a new course. They they want to develop a new identity, and in some senses, the the red blacks that were are no more instill a new uh, attitude, a new enthusiasm. Absolutely, and it comes to a point, I guess, no matter how good the people are that are in place, that eventually it's time for a change. And another organization that we're seeing shake things up this year is the Edmonton Elks. And not only did they bring Chris Jones in, but G. Roy Simon has signed on as an assistant general manager recently as well. So another marquee name. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of Pinball Clemens in Toronto, where you've got one of the stars of the CFL is now in a player personnel role with the Elks. G. Roy has been working with the Lions for a long time now. He, I think, was almost to the point of getting overdue for some type of promotion within the Lions organization. Without that being there immediately, that doesn't preclude the fact that he could come back as their GM later. At least Edmonton was affording an opportunity in the interim to bring him closer to that goal. One thing that is kind of neat in this Edmonton rebuild, if you will, is that they brought in former Stampeder and Lion Wally Buono as the consultant in the hiring process. And now they brought in a former BC Lions star player in G. Roy Simon. So again, with a small nine-team league, you're going to get some interesting crossovers. But Well, let's go deeper into the Elk situation because not only did they dip into somebody that Wally Buono knew from the British Columbia Lions, they've gone back to the last time that Chris Jones was there, and Stephen McAdoo is coming back as the offensive coordinator. Now, in Edmonton, he certainly did well with Michael Riley as his quarterback, and they went out and won a Grey Cup. He was in Saskatchewan. He kind of got pushed out of Saskatchewan, I think, and I, I wasn't a big fan of that. I thought that he is a very good offensive coordinator. There are others on this podcast, others on this podcast that totally would disagree. But if you compare, and and this isn't hard to do, do the comparator of Cody Fajardo in 2019 and Cody Fajardo in 2021. His stats in 2019 are better. And that's with a McAdoo offense versus a Jason Moss offense. Nothing against Jason Moss because he was coming into a new situation too. But I do believe that McAdoo will get that offense going. The question mark Beyond that, what are you going to do at quarterback? And this is the thing that's been going sort of in circles a little bit. Certainly the Elks have an idea, but they're not playing their cards just yet. Taylor Cornelius seems to be the leader in the opening commentaries that have come from the coaching staff. They do have Nick Arbuckle, who's going to be paid a nice bonus here in the next little while if they want to keep him. Of the two of them, Cornelius is the one that they're favoring right now. Well, one thing that is certain, they're not going to be going after Cody Fajardo in some sort of trade and sign deal with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders based on Chris Jones's comments about Cody Fajardo. I think the interesting thing that has developed now is going into this 2021 season, we had a lot of talk about Nick Arbuckle as the next up-and-coming quarterback. And Taylor Cornelius now has almost as many starts as... Nick Arbuckle does. So it's going to be quite the decision for that Elks management to make. They're going to have to do something with Arbuckle. Either cut him and allow him to be a free agent, not unlike what happened with Montreal and Harris, Trevor Harris, who I learned later had actually went to the team and said, cut me, because he wanted to get out in front of the free agent market, which more power to him for doing that. I don't think Arbuckle will feel the same way. 
Arbuckle, I just wonder in his mind, is is he feeling a little bit snake bitten or wherever he tends to go, he's soon to be gone. How long was he in Calgary? He never played a game in Ottawa. He played part of a season in Toronto. Now we don't know if he's welcome in Edmonton. And he hasn't taken a snap yet. And realistically, he was in Edmonton long enough that I'm surprised he didn't get snaps in their last one or two games. We saw Trevor Harris go into Montreal and how quickly he got called into action. And I was expecting a similar situation in Edmonton that just never developed. It it was a puzzler. I'm sure that hastened some of the change that went on in Edmonton because I'm positive that the confusion over what was going on must have really resonated. The commentary from Chris Jones to the media about Cody Fajardo was interesting, but the question mark in my mind is, what is Cody Fajardo's view of that? Because we've heard from him how social media has affected him. Does he let this get under his skin? And if it does, does it help or hurt? I guess we'll see in that first Elks Rough Riders game if Fajardo goes off for 350 yards and four touchdowns, then I think he wins this round. If he struggles, maybe Chris Jones has a point. It's really hard to say. Uh, As you mentioned, his numbers with McAdoo as the offensive coordinator were slightly better than with Moss. I I guess it boils down to each general manager and head coach has players that they are comfortable with, that they're familiar with, that they like to develop and see the potential in and for whatever reason that's not the fit between Chris Jones and Cody Fajardo. Which is fine. It was an honest answer to a to a decent question. If Fajardo wants to become an echelon quarterback, meaning upper echelon, he's got to step up in 2022. The Rough Riders host the 2022 Grey Cup. This is his opportunity. If you want to become that elite status guy, you, you have to take that team to the promised land. And this is this is where you got to do it. I give some credit to Chris Jones for speaking his mind freely. A lot of times we criticize people in professional sports for being cookie cutter and for not saying what they really mean. And then on the flip side of the coin, we are often quick to criticize people that do speak their mind. And frankly, I like the freshness of it. I, I like somebody that's not afraid to go out there. He didn't say anything mean-spirited towards Cody Fajardo or attack him as a person. He gave his honest opinion on what he feels is Cody Fajardo's capability as a quarterback. Nothing wrong with that. And like I said, if Cody Fajardo can use this for motivation to absolutely light up the Elks, then good on him. Other big news that came out of the Canadian Football League is that Bob Young, the owner of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, worked out a deal with Stelco, the largest steel concern in Canada. Stelco is acquiring 40% of the Hamilton Sports Group, and of course in that is the Hamilton Tiger Cats franchise. Now, Young is 62 years old. He's had the team for quite a few years, and I wonder if there's a thought in his mind that I have to look to the future. That means in the last four years, we've had three new ownership groups come into this Canadian Football League. Not bad. No, it certainly shows that there is interest. I believe that especially the new ownership group in Montreal and the new ownership in BC have come in with passion for the league. And it's not just 
acquiring something for a tax write-off or to look good in your portfolio or whatever the case may be. They seem committed to the CFL, committed to their cities and their teams. And hopefully this relationship in Hamilton is similar to those. And it really adds to that stability of the CFL moving forward. Young will still retain the majority share of the Hamilton Sports Group. Charleston Hughes is no longer a Toronto Argonaut, and looks like Corey Mace is going to be their new defensive coordinator. It'll be interesting to see if there's much left in the tank for Charleston Hughes and where he does end up. We did talk a lot about the all-star names that the Argonauts signed prior to the 2021 season, and we're starting to see some of those guys float around a little bit. I, I would like to see a player of Charleston Hughes's caliber get one more crack at it somewhere for a year or two, but we'll see where the chips fall. And the defensive coordinator position in Toronto, we saw them go through some some coaching changes earlier, and, and I think Mace is a great choice, and we'll see if he can continue to build on that Argonauts defense. He's leaving a great organization in the Calgary Stampeders where he had a great career. He's well-liked. He coached defensive line for the Stampeders. There is, of course some camaraderie with the head coach of the Argonauts, Ryan Dinwiddie, who worked alongside. And that opportunity, I think for Corey Mace is going to be great. I I think he's the type of guy that he's going to bring some fresh ideas to the game. Toronto needs that. Uh, Rich Stubler, I'm a little surprised that he wasn't moved up. It's never a bad thing to have some fresh new faces on those coaching staffs. We, We talked a lot more on the offensive side than the defensive side about how the offenses are really into a very safe game these days. So hopefully getting some of those fresh faces in can change things up and, and we can see some excitement reinvigorated and brought back into the into some of these games. One of the things we looked at earlier in the year was some of the stats from quarterbacks in the 90s who were throwing for thousands of yards a season and having... 21 touchdowns and 20 interceptions the real kind of gunslinging wide open offenses and we've really gone away from that over the last few years and a lot of dump downs and and five and ten yard passing plays so to get some fresh faces in there and and some new x's and o's on the whiteboard can never be a bad thing cfl players all wear a face mask for safety With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player. The Blue Bombers have signed defensive tackle Canadian uh, Jake Thomas. That, I thought, was a huge get for them. I will reiterate that, in my opinion, he was the outstanding Canadian in the Grey Cup game and was robbed in the handing out of that trophy. He's the longest tenured bomber. He was drafted in 2012 and has been with the team ever since. So a great team guy as much as as he is a great on-field presence in the middle of that defensive line. I believe he's well-liked and well-respected in the locker room. And we know all teams have a lot of pieces to put together. Winnipeg certainly, having been the Grey Cup champion, is a team that's got a lot of guys that are going to get looks from other teams. So for them to lock up somebody like Jake Thomas and kind of get the ball rolling in free agency was a great move. A few of the Bombers are going to be getting looks from the NFL as well. There's that opportunity, there's a window that's available right now if you're under contract with a CFL team that you can go out and give it a try. The one thing that you have to be 
acutely aware is that if you're going to do so, you could not have taken money from that team after December the 1st. So a signing bonus or any type of uh, money that way. So that's where it does limit you a little bit. Now, Devontae Dedman, famously from the Red Blacks, has gone to Chicago to do that workout. It does give these guys at least a chance to take a look and see if there's any interest south of the border. And DeAndre Alford is one name that's come up from that Winnipeg roster that is getting NFL attention right now. One roster move they made that I think I understand why is that they have retained Ali Murtado, the place kicker. And my guess is that as much as I would love to see Sergio Castillo back in blue and gold next season, he has probably headed south to further investigate some opportunities there before he decides to re-sign with Winnipeg. Calgary's punter Cody Grace is getting a workout with the Giants. It goes on and on and on. We we tend to get pretty excited when these types of things happen, but how many come to fruition? There are always some players that make the move. They see the opportunity and they gain the opportunity. Absolutely. I, I think what speaks to the quality of the CFL, though, is how many of those players will return when those opportunities dry up. We saw Reggie Bagleton returned to the Calgary Stampeders this year. We saw Winston Rose return to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers at the end of the season and was was key in that Grey Cup victory as well. So there's a way to do it the right way without burning bridges on your way out. And to see some of these players come back shows the quality and the desire to continue to play in the CFL. Bagleton is a great example because he came back to the team from where he left and is most likely going to sign on with them again, unless there's something that changes in the NFL market that is availing itself to him. Looking at the Calgary situation, there's another kind of interesting little development that's coming up. The Stampeders have signed another quarterback, former draft pick in the NFL, Tommy Stevens. They have Jake Mayer under contract. Bo Levi Mitchell's bonus comes due on the 15th of January, $100,000. If you're John Huffnagel and you pay that bonus, almost puts Bo Levi Mitchell into the starting job again. It does. That is the one organization with the quarterback right now that everybody is watching almost as closely as what's going on in Hamilton with Dane Evans and Jeremiah Mazzoli. To see Jake Mayer resign was a bit of a surprise for me, actually. I thought, given what he showed, that he was going to maybe explore some opportunities in free agency. But he likes the organization. He likes what he sees with Calgary and has re-upped. Whether that's another year under the wing of Bo Levi Mitchell remains to be seen. I wonder if the Stampeders are going to look at getting Mitchell to restructure his contract and make room for some other signings, as it were. Winnipeg is a team that's looking at something similar with the restructured contracts they had going into the 2021 season. I think Adam Big Hill took the biggest cut and Willie Jefferson and Zach Caleros had also reworked contracts in order to bring people back. I don't know how possible it's going to be now that they won back-to-back championships to work that same magic. I think there's a lot of guys that left money on the table that are going to be looking to get paid. I, I think across the league, because of the uncertainty of 2020 and 2021, there's a lot more flexibility in what guys were willing to sign for a lot of one-year deals just to get back into the game. Now that we're 
full steam ahead for 2022. There's a lot of things to work out between now and that February 8th free agent frenzy date, and then a lot of working puzzle pieces to fit in after that as well. You get to a point in your career that championships matter more than money. The three names that you mentioned are all in that category. They're all 33 and older, I believe. You're right. It's that stability. In my opinion, Willie Jefferson ends up back in Winnipeg or he goes to Edmonton. There's been a lot of talk about his relationship with Chris Jones in the past. I'm leaning towards staying in Winnipeg. I believe what he's developed there with Coach Mike O'Shea, with the fan base and his teammates. Winnipeg's the place he's going to stick around. Now, the biggest thing for me is I don't believe that Andrew Harris will be back for another season with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So that might free up some salary room for them to figure out how to pay everybody else. In the next two weeks, I think we're going to see a flurry of signings. And then there's going to be a shutter as February 8th comes up because you do have that option to match at the beginning of free agency. That gives you at least the chance. I think you're right. This next month, we're on January 5th here as we record tonight. So we've got just over a month before free agency. So it's going to be an all-out effort by those general managers to lock up the key players that they have at the top of their free agent board right now, get them committed. And then when you go into that free agency, you could use those names on your roster as a little bit of leverage to maybe try to lure some other guys over. Federal government's requirement that if you're going to be a professional player in Canada, it's January 15th? Yes. That that comes into effect? Now that could change if Omicron runs its course. If you're a free agent and you're in the States right now, you might be thinking, who's going to be interested in me if I can't come there? One big name when you speak of that, was a quarterback that was very prominent in the Great Cup game, and that's Jeremiah Mazzoli. There was some rumblings amongst Winnipeg that it was unfair that they had to suspend a player uh, for not being vaccinated. Uh, as the Eli, the offensive lineman, was not able to travel to the Great Cup, but because it was a home game for the Tiger Cats, Mazzoli was, was able to play and was a big part of the game. That's a tough one to get behind the bombers on that. I, I agree that maybe a, a non-vax player didn't belong in the Grey Cup. Winnipeg could have been the host team, and the exact opposite could have been meaningful for the Tiger Cats. I don't buy that. Sorry. They won the game. Quit whining. <laughs> I, I absolutely understand your point on that one as well. But it, it is an interesting situation. We we knew, we talked about it on this podcast, about the possibilities with teams traveling from the West, who was left unvaccinated on their teams, who wasn't going to be able to travel, who wasn't going to be able to play. And then you get into that Southern Ontario triangle, and realistically, anybody in the East could travel one way or another to Hamilton and still be able to participate in the game. Ultimately, though, that's the decision of the player not to get vaccinated you know that's the risk you take by not getting vaccinated. He knew what he was doing. I'm sure that Bombers urged him, but if that didn't change his mind, then too bad. That's the way it goes. Does his name get on the Grey Cup? Because you weren't in the game? I imagine so because you were in the playoffs. I would think so because of 
how many games he did play. He did start some games as well. I'm not sure what the cutoff is in that situation, but I believe he would be still considered a great cup champion, even though he was suspended and not able to travel for the game. There's going to be a lot of activity in the Canadian Football League coming up. I mean, obviously we've got free agent frenzy. We also have a new CBA that has to be negotiated. We talked at length in our last show about the desire to get some sort of money guarantees for these players. Hopefully, uh, length of term of contract gets changed so that you're going to sign a three-year deal or a four-year deal even. You have to build in some sort of guarantee, I think, within that framework. That is going to be a significant negotiation. The CFL, by all reports, went to the bottom of where they could spend on salaries in 2021, given fewer games, etc., In 2022, they expect that they're going to be playing a full slate of games. I'm sure the Players Association is looking at saying, well, we've taken our hit. Now it's time to reward us. I would absolutely love to see three-year contracts become the norm in the CFL. That would be absolutely huge. Three- and four-year deals, ideally, would be the way to go. And I, I think the biggest stumbling block is how you fairly set these contracts to still allow players to pursue those opportunities south of the border. And as you said, there's, it really boils down to a handful of players each year. I think the CFLPA and the league can be pretty open in how they allow that to happen. And I guess what it would boil down to is if you go to south of the border and you make a roster or a practice roster, once you get cut, if you want to return to the CFL, there's still a contract that you have to honor. That is the way they have to go right now. Given that this window has been reopened, the players that go down that are under contract, if they don't make it, have to come back to the team with whom they've signed. The bigger question in my mind is, let's say it's a four-year deal. Maybe in the first two years of that contract, you go and take a chance and work out in that window. But after that, no. You've had two shots at it. We don't have to go through this time and time and time again. I think that would be fair. And realistically, you start to reach a point where you're going to age out of your opportunities to go play in the NFL. There are, of course, exceptions to every rule. And, and most of that is with quarterbacks. We saw Jeff Garcia, Warren Moon, and Doug Flutie all have lengthy CFL careers prior to heading south of the border. But it's pretty rare that position players beyond the age of probably about 25 or 26 years old will get a legitimate shot at cracking an NFL roster if they haven't done so prior to it. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio. Worth watching.